The podcast world is growing bigger every day and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow the Killer Instincts podcast once you're there. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for tuning in with me here today. All right, you guys. So today's case is by far the most highly requested case I have ever gotten, like ever. Um, and I've held off on covering it for a while because for a couple reasons, I would say. For the first reason, it is one of, if not the most, highly publicized cases of this time period, I would say. And I would be very surprised if you were interested in true crime and have never heard of this case before. The second reason that I have kind of been holding off on this one is because sometimes with the bigger cases, I get into these mindsets of like, you know, everyone knows about it. So what is the use if I cover it? Because everyone already knows about it. But then I kind of had to stop myself and say that this is still an unsolved case. This still is someone who hasn't had justice for themselves. There's still so many unanswered questions. And if I can bring any more light to that, then why the hell would I not? So as you can tell by the title of this, we are talking about Madeline McCann today. Like I said, this is by far the most requested case that I get. And just personally, I think that this is one of the most highly publicized and well-known missing persons cases of our time period. And I know that if you haven't seen it, Netflix just came out with a little mini series all about the case. So if you want some more information on this case, I would definitely recommend checking that out. With being such a big case, it is very hard for me to cover every single little detail that comes with this case. So I have no doubt that this will be my longest case to date. However, I will say that there is no way that I'm going to be able to cover every ounce of this case. So I definitely recommend, just like with all my cases, you know, just do your own research if you are still interested in it. Um, and if you want to find out more about it, this is definitely one of those where it is never ending as far as the information. So I'm going to try to give you the facts as I know them and let's just jump right on into this. I know this is a long intro, but I think it deserved it. So Madeline McCann was born on May 12th, 2003 in Leicester, England to her parents, Kate McCann and Jerry McCann. Both of Madeline's parents were actually doctors, so her mom kind of bounced around a couple different areas before landing in general practice, and her father was actually a cardiologist, and their family lived in Leicester, and Madeline had two younger siblings. They were twins, so they were two years younger than her. She had a younger brother and a younger sister, and in the spring of 2007, the McCann family decided that they were going to go on a spring break trip, and this wasn't just the McCann family, so this this trip included a bunch of the McCann's friends. It was kind of like an entire, I don't know how you would even call this. It was just like a family friend vacation, I guess. So they went on a vacation with a handful of other families that they were good friends with. And they thought it was perfect because, you know, all the kids could play together. I think there were about eight kids in total. So all the kids could play together and the adults could all hang out and have their own separate time. And I think they all just thought it was the perfect time to get away. So those other families included Fiona and David Payne, Jane Tanner and Russell O'Brien, as well as Matthew and Rachel Oldfield. Like I said, between this group, there was about eight children altogether, and all of the other people in this group were also some sort of physician or lawyer, but this excluded Jane Tanner, who was a marketing manager, but everyone else was either a physician or a lawyer, so they were all kind of in the same field as far as their occupation, and they decided that they were going to visit Portugal, specifically a resort in Portugal called Praia de Luz. 
So the McCanns arrived to this resort on Saturday, April 28th, 2007, and they were planning on staying for a week. So when the McCanns got there and when all of their friends were getting their rooms, the McCanns were assigned to apartment 5A. And this wasn't like a regular hotel where you kind of, it's not like the Marriott basically is what I'm saying. So it's not like you go in and it's all in one building. These were kind of more so apartments and villas. And you know, you had, you walked outside and you are outside basically. You walk outside your room and you're outside. So the McCanns were assigned to an apartment 5A, which was a two-bedroom ground floor apartment in the fifth block of apartments in an area called Waterside Village. Their friends were not far away from them at all. Matthew and Rachel Oldfield were actually right next door to them in 5B. Jane Tanner and Russell O'Brien were in 5D, and the Payne family was on the first floor. So everyone was pretty close to each other in this group of apartments. Something to note about this apartment or resort complex, um, where the McCanns were staying, the room that they had, so 5A, was not gated. Like nothing was really gated. There wasn't the best security. And 5A was actually a corner apartment. So it was on the corner of two different public roads. And so with it being public roads, the room was pretty much accessible by literally anyone to the public who saw it. The patio doors of 5A could be accessed from the street. So if you think about it, as far as security, and safety goes it is a little iffy but at the same time I don't think you kind of go into it thinking that your kid is going to be kidnapped but at the same time that's what happened even the patio doors of 5A could actually be accessed by the public street. So there was only one gate there and it was the gate that was leading up to the steps to the balcony of the apartment, but it wasn't like a secured gate, you know? So as far as security, it wasn't the best, but I don't think that they really thought much of it at that point. Something that was nice about the apartment though is that where they were staying in 5A and kind of that entire block of apartments, um, it overlooked the pool, the tennis courts, and a tapas restaurant called Tapas 7. So basically all of those amenities were on the ground level and you could see the tapas restaurant from the apartments, you could see the apartments from the tapas restaurant, and how the setup for the kids' sleeping arrangements worked for the McCann kids was that all three of them, so the twins plus Madeline, slept in the bedroom closest to the front door. But for the most part, Kate and Jerry kept that front door locked at all times, so they say. So there really wasn't ever a worry of the kids opening that door. But this particular bedroom had only one window in it, and this window overlooked the sidewalk to so the public sidewalk as well as the parking lot for the resort. So Madeline slept in a single bed next to the bedroom door and her bed was on the opposite side of the wall with the window and the twins slept in these like travel cot things in the middle of the room. They were two years old so they didn't really need to sleep in a bed but that was the setup for how they all slept typically. So with that all being said, and with you getting kind of the lowdown of the resort as well as where the sleeping arrangements were, let's move on to Thursday, May 3rd, 2007. So this was the fifth day of the McCann's stay at the Praia de Luz Resort, and their trip was coming to a little bit of a close. And this day started out as really any other on their vacation. All of the kids woke up and spent the morning at the resort's kids club. And when I say all the kids, I mean all of the kids from all of the different families that traveled with the McCanns to Portugal. And after they went to the kids club, they had a family lunch at their apartment before heading to the pool. And the kids went back to the kids club after going to the pool. And then at about six o'clock PM, Kate picked up Madeline and the twins and took them back to 5A, their apartment, while Jerry had a tennis lesson. Kate said that she put Madeline and the twins to sleep at around 7 o'clock p.m. that night, and Madeline fell asleep in a pink and white short sleeve pajama set with her blanket and her stuffed animal that was called the Cozy Cat, is what they called her, the Cuddle Cat. I think it was the Cuddle Cat. And she would go to sleep with this stuffed animal every single night. And Kate put the kids to bed, and then Kate, Jerry, along with all of the other parents that traveled to Portugal, went to the Tapa 7 restaurant at about 8.30 p.m. And here's what you need 
need to know about this restaurant and about this whole setup. So basically, this Tapas 7 restaurant was about 160 feet away from their apartments. And so it was you could see it. You couldn't necessarily see the door, but you could see the apartments themselves. And even though it was only 160 feet to the apartment, the only way to get from one to the other was taking the public street. So it's not like you could do a straight shot across the pool. So if you were ever to go from the restaurant to the apartment or vice versa, you had to kind of take this side road, which kind of extended it to be about 250, 260 feet. And even though the top of the apartment was visible from the restaurant, the doors to the apartment were not. And in the apartment, the patio doors could only be locked from the inside. So how the McCanns typically did this was that they left the front door locked and the patio doors unlocked while the kids were sleeping and all of the adults, and this went for all of the families too. I'm not sure how their locked door system was set up, but I could imagine if all of the apartments are the same, they had the same locked and unlocked door features. Um, they had some similar system, I'm guessing, but the McCann's in particular, what I know from them is they kept the patio doors unlocked and locked the front door only while Madeline and the twins were asleep in the bedroom. So this wasn't the first night that the McCanns and their friends had done something like this. It's not the first night they left their kids in the rooms while they all went to go to this restaurant. It was actually the fourth or fifth night that they had done this. And the McCanns and their friends had actually called the restaurant or the resort ahead of time and made a note to the restaurant um, for the last four nights of their vacation that they wanted to have dinner at that restaurant at 8.30 p.m. And the resort staff had left a note in the reception area asking the restaurant for and basically had the restaurant make a note that this group needs to have the same table at the same time every night that they were there and they wanted the same table because they wanted to be able to see their kids and be close to their apartment and it was also said that in the note it also mentioned that the reason they asked for this was because their children were asleep in their apartments a lot of the people at the resort or at least the restaurant had an inside scoop that there are going to be a bunch of unsupervised children sleeping in their unlocked apartments at this point so that already is a major red flag but the McCann's and their friends had a system of how they checked on their kids and like I said they had been doing this for about four or five nights so in their mind they already have this system down they know what they're doing and it works every single time so why wouldn't it work this time and that system was that every 30 minutes one of the adults from the group would get up and go check on their kids and they would flip-flop so Jerry was the the first one to a check that night and he went at about 9.05 p.m. Jerry said he went into their apartment and basically this whole check-in was just to make sure that the kids were not crying and when Jerry went into the apartment he said he didn't hear anything but he did notice something a little bit off. Jerry said that when he initially left the room, when him and Kate initially left to go to the restaurant, he remembers leaving the door, in his words, about five degrees open, so barely open, like almost fully closed. But when he got back to the apartment to do the first check, the kid's bedroom door, which is the door that I'm referring to in this, was wide open. And he thought that was a little weird considering, like I said, he had left it almost entirely shut when he left. And so Jerry went into the room and just kind of shut the door behind him again. Um, he didn't think too much of it. He did say on his first check that when he went in to shut the door, he saw the twins and Madeline. They were sleeping in their beds, and so he just kind of shut the door behind him. So at about 9.15, Jane Tanner got up to go check on her daughter. So just to kind of break this down a little bit more for you, Jerry was on his way back to the restaurant at about the same time that Jane was on her way to check on her daughter. And while Jane was on her way to check on her daughter and Jerry was on his way back, Jerry actually stopped for a minute to talk to another man at the resort, some another guest at the resort. I'm not exactly sure who this man was, but Jerry said that he just stopped to talk to this man. So according to Jane, while she was walking towards her apartment to check on her daughter, she passed Jerry who was talking to this man and this was at about 9 15 and while she was on her way walking she noticed there was a man carrying a young child across the street from the apartment side to the regular side of the public sidewalk 
Jane said that this man was not far from 5A where the McCanns were staying and was walking away from the apartment and heading kind of in an east direction. According to Jane, the child that this man was holding was wearing light pink colored pajamas, which mind you, Jane hadn't seen Madeline that night or at least up until she got into her pajamas. So according to Jerry and Kate, there is no way that she would have known that. So Jane described this man as a five foot seven white man with dark hair looking at about 35 to 40 years old. Jane says he was wearing gold or beige trousers and a dark jacket. And she said he didn't look like a tourist. He looked more like a local. Even with seeing this man, Jane didn't really think much of it. She just kept walking towards her room to check on her own daughter who Jane found still fast asleep in their apartment. And after she went and checked on her daughter, she went back to the restaurant where both Kate and Jerry were. And at this point, Jane didn't say anything to them about the man she had seen walking across the street. She didn't see the child's face, but also I just don't think it really registered to her. But I will say this, when Jane said that she was walking to her apartment, she said that she saw Jerry talking to some other man as she was walking up to her apartment. But according to Jerry, as well as the man that he was supposedly talking to, they never remember seeing her and police had a lot of problems with this because the roads on the street that they were on and the roads on the street that they had to walk to were very narrow and the likelihood that Jane would have passed Jerry and him not have known it like it's not something where he could have really turned his back and not really have seen her this just created a lot of suspicion to police because they thought well if Jerry didn't see Jane then this probably didn't happen you know they really questioned her credibility at this point about this witness that she claims to have seen carrying a child from one side of the street to the other because Jerry doesn't remember seeing her. And I'm going to tell you guys my thoughts on Jane's potential sighting more towards the end of this, but let's just keep going for now. So like I said, Kate and Jerry took turns to go check on their kids in the apartment to make sure that they were sleeping. Jerry had gone and checked at 9.05 and everything seemed fine. And now it was about 9.30 p.m., which meant it was Kate's turn to go check on the kids. One of their friends, Matthew Oldfield, was also going to check on his kids at the time and their apartments were right next to each other. Matthew told Kate that he was going in the direction of the apartments anyways to check on his own kids so she could stay at the restaurant if she wanted to and he would check on her kids as well. And Kate said that she kind of hesitated for a little bit but then she decided it was fine, told Matthew thank you and let him go check on her kids. Matthew, though, didn't do the best job of that. Matthew said that when he went into the McCann's apartment, he saw that the bedroom door was wide open. The bedroom door that the kids were in was wide open, just like when Jerry went in and saw that the bedroom door was wide open. But he said he didn't hear any noises or any of the kids crying, so he left without actually looking into the bedroom to see if he could physically see the kids. So there's a very good chance that when Matthew went into the apartment to check on the kids, Madeline was already gone. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So Matthew went back to the restaurant and told Kate and Jerry that everything was fine. And on one hand, Matthew was in the wrong for not looking into the room of where the kids were sleeping to physically see all three kids of the McCanns to physically see the twins plus Madeline. But if you think about it also, this wasn't Matthew's apartment. These weren't Matthew's kids and he would have no idea what, like if the door was fully opened or fully closed, you know? So the door being fully open would have looked weird to Jerry or Kate, but to Matthew, it kind of just, okay, like maybe they let the door open. Like it's not a big deal to him. So he thought that everything was fine because all Jerry and Kate said in the interviews that I watched when they would go and do these checks on their kids was they were just checking to make sure they weren't 
weren't crying. Like, and that I kind of found a little bit strange, honestly, because they just kept saying like all the checks we were doing were just to make sure that the kids weren't crying. So let's say Matthew goes into the apartment, doesn't hear the kids crying and sees the door open. He's not really going to think much of it. You know, like why would he? And so he went back to the restaurant, told Jerry and Kate that everything was fine. And then about 10 o'clock PM rolled around. And this is when it was Kate's turn to do her check-in with the kids. So Kate entered the room through the unlocked patio doors in the back of the apartment. Like I said, they left the patio doors unlocked and noticed that the kid's bedroom door was wide open again. Kate went to grab the door to close it a little bit. She didn't look into the room to see if her kids were there, but she said initially she just kind of like grabbed the door and started to close it shut slowly. But according to Kate, she said at that point, a huge gust of wind came into the room and slammed the door shut. And according to Kate, there is no reason that the window should have been opened. They always left that window closed. So she opened so Kate opened the door and when she did open the door and she looked to the window, she noticed that both the window and the shutter were open. And according to Kate, she said that when she looked in the room, the lights were off. She didn't turn the lights on, but the lights were off and she was trying to make out Madeline in the bed, but she had a hard time seeing her. And it wasn't until she got closer that she realized that Madeline was gone. Kate said she quickly looked around the apartment because at first she thought, okay, like maybe she got up to go to sleep in her parents' bed. Maybe she woke up, got freaked out and wanted to go sleep in her parents' bed. So Kate went to go check there, but didn't find Madeline there either. She then said that she went to check her bedroom. She said that after she went to check her bedroom, she went back to where the twins were sleeping. And this is like out of a movie scene, I swear. Kate said that when she went back into the bedroom for the second time, the kid's bedroom for the second time, the curtains that were covering the window just flew up, like with the gust of wind, they just kind of like flew up. And that is when she noticed that the shutters were open as well as the window. I don't know why she didn't notice the window was open the first time that she went in, but different story. Kate then said she ran up to the window and looked out of the window to see if she could see anything. And she said that she didn't see anything when she looked out of the window. And her last hope at that point was hoping that Madeline was maybe hiding in the closet. So she started looking through all of the closets and didn't find Madeline there either. I mean, I don't really understand why Madeline would be in a closet, but I don't know. Anyways, and so once Kate still couldn't find Madeline, she ran back to the restaurant. I've read articles that have said that Kate said Madeline is gone. They've taken her. And then I've read reports and interviews that have said, and then I've seen interviews of Kate who has said that she said Madeline is gone. Someone has taken her and Kate has gotten a lot of scrutiny for that comment. The whole someone has taken her thing. And it reminded me a lot of the Scott and Lacey Peterson case when I covered that case on my YouTube channel and that I remember pointing out that I found that very odd. The fact that Scott, when unable to find Lacey, called Lacey's mom and said Lacey is missing. And I mentioned that in my coverage of the Scott and Lacey Peterson case. And a lot of people kind of clapped back and said that um, it's not a weird thing to say. You know, she's missing. If you can't find someone, they're missing. So did it mean that she... Did, so in that circumstance, did it mean that he meant she was actually missing or that he just couldn't find her? Like, it's not a weird thing to say. And I kind of put that into perspective into this case as well, because I mean, let's say your kid goes missing. Like not a lot of people fortunately have to deal with that and know what that feels like. I know that I was not in Kate's shoes in this position. I know that I've never been in the shoes of a mother who has had a missing child. So would I say someone's taken her? Would I say they've taken her? I don't know, but a lot of people kind of put her under the fire for that. Personally, I don't think that that is something to be under fire for. I think she should be under fire for a lot more things. That's personally not one of them for me, but I did want to mention that because I know that a lot of people had a problem with that and I mean rightfully so, but let's move on. So Kate went to go check on the kids at about 10 o'clock p.m. And at 10, 10 p.m., Jerry sent Matthew to the resort reception desk and told him to tell them to call the police. 20 minutes later after that, so about 10.30 p.m., the resort activated its missing children's protocol. So there were 60 staff and guests who started searching for Madeline until 4.30 a.m. the next morning. But unfortunately, they ended up with nothing. 
So in the beginning, only two police officers arrived at the resort shortly after they were called. And after briefly searching until about midnight, they called in the criminal police. So they had been searching at that point for a little over an hour and a half. And then they decided to call in the criminal police. The timing for this was a little bit messy. Like I saw a lot of differing opinions on this because according to Kate, the criminal police arrived over an hour after they were called. And according to the pol criminal police, they arrived within 10 minutes of being called, which is a very big difference. So there's a little bit of miscommunication and a little bit of messiness there. Um, at about two o'clock AM though, there were two patrol dogs who were brought in. And by 8 AM, that was up to four search and rescue dogs. And police were searching in waterways and wells and caves and all around the resort, but they were coming up empty handed each time. Now let's talk about how the first few hours of Madeline's disappearance went, which in any child case in particular, like obviously any missing persons case in general, but statistics show in a children's missing persons case, the first few hours are absolutely critical. Um, but there were a lot of mistakes when it came to Madeline's case and her first few hours of being missing. First off, none of the police working on Madeline's case were given a description of what Madeline looks like, which is our, like, I, how do you expect to find someone if you don't know what they look like? It, it kind of blows my mind a little bit that they weren't told what she looked like. And I can't believe I'm even saying that because this is one of the biggest missing persons cases ever. And within the first few hours of this disappearance, they didn't know what she looked like. So they didn't know who they were looking for. That just drives me a little nuts. Also, police didn't request any surveillance of any vehicles or motorway pictures of vehicles leaving the resort the night of the disappearance, which is huge because if you think about it, because obviously in a case like this, in any children's missing persons case, you want to get as much information as you can. You want to cover as much ground as you can, and you want to cover all of your bases, including checking the surveillance footage. And if you're not doing that, what are you doing? It also took five days to issue a missing persons alert for Madeline, which along with all of the things that I just told you is absolutely mind blowing. So Jerry and Kate said that they were advised very quickly to not run to the media with this and to stay away from the press, but they said that they were so desperate to get Madeline back that they ended up having a press conference very early in Madeline's disappearance. And their defense for this, because they were advised not to do it, was they said that they just felt so helpless and that Kate said that every second felt like hours and that nothing could have happened quick enough. Like they couldn't have gotten Madeline back quick enough. So she wanted to do whatever she could whether that was telling the media or not, or telling the public, just getting Madeline's face and name out there was huge for her, which I find quite interesting considering the fact that the police didn't know what she looked like or have a description of her while they were first looking for her, but that's just me. The evidence in this case was handled extremely poorly as well. Around 20 people, there was about 20 people that entered and exited 5A, the apartment that the McCanns were staying in, before the police closed it off after Madeline's disappearance. That's 20 people's DNA. 20 people's DNA. If there was a stranger or an abductor who came in, if this was a child abduction, that is so damaging. It's damaging regardless, but that is so damaging to the potential evidence that could be in the crime scene. It just wasn't treated like a crime scene, which it 100% should have been. It wasn't long until the British police got involved in this case as well. Like I said, the McCanns were from England. So the British police had actually flown over to Portugal, but the Portugal police as well as the British police kind of bumped heads a lot throughout this case. So for example, like the British police used this system called HOMES2, which stands for Home Office Large Major Inquiry System, which is what they use to collect all their data. But the Portugal police just collected all their information and put it into like these boxes, kind of like how you see on like Law & Order or something like that a lot of the times where everything's just in like a box. But that made it really difficult for them to work together. That's just like one of the examples because they were just used to working in different ways. And so it just really like made them not be able to sync well together and the portugal police said that they felt like they were being looked at by the uk police as very inferior which is just it's so frustrating because it's like that's not what matters here and this is like like this is about a child not about the investigators clashing egos but like yeah i don't know it's just weird 
So now let's talk about the big elephant in the room, the big obvious that if you have looked into this case before, you know that this is like the biggest theory of all theories. And that is that Kate and Jerry McCann were responsible for Madeline's death. And there were so many theories that were being thrown around. There still are so many theories being thrown around. For example, I read a theory that said that the McCanns, as well as all the other couples on the retreat, they all would sedate their kids at night because they were all swingers and they would all just like get together at night while all their kids were like passed out. And while they went to dinner, like there was, just, it was very crazy. But I mean, if you think about it, they all were physicians or a lot of them were. So they would have the means to kind of find these drugs. If you think about it, like they could write these prescriptions and while that's against the law, you know, they still could have done it. So Jerry said in his first interview that both Jerry and Kate would enter their apartment through the locked front door, not the unlocked patio doors, but the locked front door for both the 9.05 p.m. check-in as well as the 10 o'clock p.m. check-in. But then on his interview on May 10th, he said that both himself and Kate used the unlocked patio doors in the back. To me, this is a red flag because this is just something that I don't think is like something that you could kind of mess up. Like either you walked through the front door or you walked through the back door. Typically when you are entering somewhere, you know which door you're entering from. You can remember which door you're entering from. There was also a really big question surrounding when Kate went to go check on her kids and found Madeline missing, why she left her twins asleep in their room, in the room that she couldn't find Madeline in, to run back to the restaurant and leave them in potential danger as well. And a lot of people say that the reason she did this is because she knew, and it was actually Kate and Jerry who were responsible for Madeline's disappearance, so that's why she felt fine leaving her twins in there. There was also a lot of questions surrounding the exterior shutter of the window or the shutter that was covering the window that was found open in the kids' bedroom in the 5A apartment. Some people say that with the way the shutter was made and with the metal that it had in it and how it was all placed, that it could only be opened from the inside, meaning that someone would have had to have entered the inside of the apartment to be able to open the shutter, which if you think about it is not the craziest thing considering the patio doors were unlocked. But police actually said that the shutter could not be raised from the outside without being forced or it would cause a lot of noise, but there was no sign of forced entry into the apartment. Because I think at first the McCanns and a lot of people wanted to believe that this person like came in through the kid's bedroom door. But like I said, the patio doors were unlocked in the back. So someone could have easily gone through the back. And that is something to actually like keep in mind as well. There was no forced entry in this. So this was not someone who, you know, like decided to jump through the window because they thought that all doors were locked. This was someone who either knew the patio doors were unlocked or you know checked all the doors to make sure that they were unlocked but this was i just don't feel like this was like a random like let's see if these doors are unlocked like i feel like this was someone who had to either be watching the mccann's or the mccann's themselves now the portugal police were definitely leaning in the direction that there had been no abduction of madeline their theory, though, was that Madeline passed away in the apartment 5A as a result of some sort of accident caused by Kate and Jerry, which the police guessed could have possibly been a result of a sedative to help her stay asleep, whether that was an overdose, whether she hit her head on something. But the police were definitely leaning in the way that this was definitely some sort of accident caused by the parents and not some stranger abduction. In July 2007, the British and Portugal police did an extensive search of about 9.3 miles around the Praia de Luz resort. But the issue here is that the officer in charge of this whole search party basically had no training in searching procedures whatsoever. So he really didn't know what he was doing. But even so, the search included helicopters flying over major search areas and up to about 100 police officers were involved in this search. So now I want to talk about the search dogs that were involved in this because I thought that this was super interesting and kind of eye-opening when I was reading into this. So there were two search dogs that I want to talk about. 
So both of these dogs were different types of search dogs and they were brought in to do a search on July 31st, 2007. So one of these dogs was trained to search for the scent of human blood and alert it by placing her nose close to the spot where the blood was smelt and then she would just freeze. So like that's how she would tell someone like this is where it is basically. And then there was another dog who was actually a cadaver dog who gave a bark alert to the scent of human cadavers. If it was submerged underwater or buried underground, these dogs are still trained to be able to pick up that scent. And because he was a bark alert dog only, because I had this question like, well, what if this dog like just barks to bark? Because that's, I mean, dogs bark, right? But apparently the way that these types of dogs are trained, they're only trained to ever bark when they smell a cadaver. So if someone walks into the house or if they see another dog, like they're not going to bark. The only time they're going to bark is if they smell a cadaver. So the dogs arrived and were taken to several different areas. And the first place they were taken to was apartment 5A, where the McCanns had been staying. And they were also then taken to a nearby wasteland and then to the beach. And the dogs made no alerts when they went to the beach or the wasteland, but the only time the dogs made alerts were when they were in apartment 5A. And both dogs alerted to behind the sofa in the living room. And then the bark alert dog gave an alert near the closet in the master bedroom. So I thought that that was super interesting. Um, and then the police then got search warrants to search the house that the McCann family had rented out 24 days after Madeline went missing. So the McCanns were still in Portugal for a little bit of time. And the house was searched on August 2nd. And the only alert there was from the bark alert dog when he found the stuffed animal that Madeline had slept with the night that she disappeared and remember this is a cadaver dog this isn't just like a scent picking up dog of the same smell this is a cadaver dog the other dog though did not give an alert to this the police though did take a couple boxes of the McCann's belongings they took a bible some suitcases a notepad two diaries boxes of their clothes and a pair of latex gloves um they took some other things but that is just like the majority of it and the bark alert dog when going through the collected items alerted to one of the boxes of clothes which were kate's clothes actually but then the mccann's lawyer actually defended this which i thought that this was a pretty brilliant defense if you think about it the mccann's lawyer defended this by saying that if there was a smell of a corpse or a cadaver that obviously had to be because that Kate is a physician and works in the medical field. So having a like cadaver smell or anything like that, the smell of a corpse wouldn't like, it shouldn't matter because that's just kind of like her job. Pretty smart, huh? Because <laughs> then on August 6, 2007, both dogs were taken to an underground parking lot by the police headquarters, and there were 10 cars parked. So 10 cars parked. All the cars were parked about 20 to 30 feet away from each other. One of these cars was the McCann's car, and the bark alert dog gave an alert outside of the McCann's car by the driver's door, and the following morning, the other dog, so the blood-sniffing dog, gave an alert to the second door behind the driver's seat as well as the trunk of the McCann's car car. So both the bark alert dog as well as the blood smelling dog alerted to the McCann's car out of all of these 10 cars. The blood smelling dog also picked up the smell on the compartment of the driver's side door, which had the ignition key as well as the key ring belonging to the car. And the police wanted to make sure that the dogs were getting it 100% right. So they then took the key and the key ring that the blood smelling dog had picked up and they took it to the beach and they hid it under a bucket. And even in doing so, the blood sniffing dog alerted to the keys again. And this is when the Portuguese police really started to hone in on the McCanns and say that Madeline died in apartment 5A. So now let's talk about Jane Tanner's sighting of the man carrying the child in a similar colored pajamas as Madeline the night of the disappearance. So Jane said that when she saw this man walking, he was heading east, which was away from apartment 5A. And in the beginning of the investigation, the direction that he was going was very telling because it led police to a man named Robert Murat, who was a 33-year-old British Portuguese man who lived near apartment 5A, and he became the first suspect in this case. But then this sighting kind of got a little messy and less reliable because in October of 2013, Jane had actually identified a man who was just kind of like a British guest at the resort 
to be the person who was carrying this girl. But the guy who she actually identified was just a man who was carrying his own daughter from the Ocean Club, which was like a little kid's club that night. And his daughter's pajamas that night also just ha so happened to match the ones that were like Madeline's color, the pink and white color that she had been wearing. And so this sighting kind of got a little bit dismissed and it wasn't really looked into as much anymore. And when the sighting was dismissed, this kind of turned police to focus more on a report that was made on May 26, 2007 by a couple named Martin and Mary Smith. They said that around 10 o'clock p.m. the night that Madeline went missing on May 3rd, they saw a man about 500 yards from the McCann's 5A apartment and he was walking from the Ocean Club towards the beach. They said that he was carrying a girl that looked at about like three or four years old. She had blonde hair and pale skin and was wearing light colored pajamas. The man was described as about 5'7 to 5'9 in his mid-30s with short brown hair wearing beige trousers and did not look like a tourist, which if you compare both Jane and the Smith sightings, they are both very, very similar. And I kind of got a little bit confused when I was reading this because, I mean, if Jane identified this British, like, this British guy who was on vacation with his family as the person who was carrying his daughter back from the Ocean Club, but then this other couple identified this man or said that they saw this man carrying a girl from the Ocean Club to the beach. I'm a little bit confused about that, um, if I'm being honest, so um, I would love to hear what you guys have to think about that or if you have any way to clear that up because I am very, that is a little bit confusing because obviously if Jane saw it, no one really took Jane's, um, the thing that Jane said seriously because Jerry as well as the man that Jerry was talking to that night didn't see Jane. So a lot of people kind of questioned her credibility in that, but with this other couple reporting to see a very, very similar man, I mean, that is very telling, I think. So hairs and fibers were collected from the McCann's car and from the 5A apartment where the alerts had been given by the dogs and they were sent in for forensic testing and DNA profiling in August of 2007. And on the 7th of September, Kate and Jerry were told that Madeline's DNA had been found in the car and behind the sofa of the apartment. Now this very well could have been because Madeline drove in the car while she was still alive with her parents and it could have been because she was sitting on the couch while she was still alive. But I think that the police obviously had some more information on that, considering the fact that they brought it up. So when the police were then questioning Jerry and Kate about the DNA that they found, Jerry didn't respond to questions and Kate declined to reply to 48 questions that she was asked over the course of an 11 hour interview. 11 hour interview and you decline 48 questions. That does not look too good. Um, on September 9th of 2007, Kate and Jerry, along with the twins, moved back to England. And uh, I mean, here's the thing, like obviously life has to go on at some point, right? I mean, you can't, I don't know, you can't like dwell on the past forever, I guess. But to me, like I said, I'm not a parent. I don't know what this is, but to me, um, if my child went missing, I'm not leaving till I get them back. That's how I see it. Um, and like I said, I'm not a parent. I don't know how this feels. And so I can't say that that's exactly what I would do. But as like, just looking as an outsider looking in, which is all I am, like if my kid goes missing, like I'm not leaving till I get my kid back or I find out what exactly happened. Just the next day, so September 10th, the day after the McCanns moved back to England, the chief inspector of the Portugal police had signed a nine-page report that said that Madeline McCann died in apartment 5A as a result of an accident and that the restaurant, the Tapas 7 restaurant, um, and the regular... And that the Tapas 7 restaurant, as well as the regular checks on the children, were part of the cover-up. And that the Tapas 7 restaurant helped to mislead the police. And it also stated that the McCanns concealed the body and faked the abduction. So, think about it, you guys. This was signed by the Portugal police. So, at this point, it's not just, like, people who are questioning Kate and Jerry for, oh, like, are they, are they guilty or are they not? Like, the police signed this saying that this is what happened. Which, to me, was really, like, an eye-opening opener when I um, really dove deep into this case. I was very shocked about that. Now let's break it down a little bit. As we all know, unfortunately, Madeline has never been found to this day. And I know I say this all the time and you're probably sick and tired of hearing me say it. I said it in the beginning of this case to begin with. And that is 
someone knows something and i know i know you hate hearing me say that but just hear me out on this one just like think about it a little bit this case like i said is one of the most highly talked about cases ever highly discussed highly publicized most like globally known cases this is a little girl who vanished in literally thin air but even though she vanished in thin air I don't really think she vanished in thin air like she didn't like someone knows something you know this girl has been missing for over a decade and she has not been seen or heard from once and we'll get into the potential sighting shortly but i do believe all the logistics of this are absolutely insane and that's why i circle back to around to the someone knows something concept and someone saw something and people did see things and i know that someone has heard something or you know it's just it doesn't just like this isn't someone knows something and i know you hate hearing me say that and i am sick and tired of saying it too but this is definitely one of those but this is definitely one of those circumstances if you really think about it i want to talk more in depth though about jerry and kate because i have a lot to say about them i have some opinions that i want to know your guys's opinion on and I want to know your guys' opinions on them as well, and I want to tell you my opinions. And, I mean, put it this way. They were named as suspects in this case. Um, I'm not sure if they still are suspects in this case or considered suspects in this case. Um, but if you think about it, if they are innocent, let's just put that out there. If they are innocent, this they're just living a living hell at this point because not only did they lose their daughter, but everyone thinks that they are responsible for the disappearance and potential murder of their daughter. If they are innocent, I just can't imagine like the pain that they are in um, just with the scrutiny that they've been put under. But if they did have something to do with it, then that sympathy just goes straight out the window. And I did a lot of research and watched a lot of interviews of Kate and Jerry together, answering questions um, about Madeline's disappearance. And I wanted to point out a couple things that I noticed. So Kate and Jerry have been asked in multiple interviews, just straight up, have you killed your daughter? Or did you kill your daughter? Or were you responsible for the disappearance of your daughter? And I was reading through like some comments and kind of pieced some things together. And what I've noticed is that, what, for, for, first of all, whenever Jerry is responding to these comments, he it's never just no. Like it's never, no, I did not kill my daughter, which you will see. Um, I watched interviews with sim in similar cases, meaning, you know, kids who go missing and their parents are viewed as questionable or suspects or things like that and their answer is no straight up i did not kill my kid and that was never the case for jerry when it came to jerry saying no i did not have anything to do with madeline's disappearance it was always followed by some long explanation of why that was just crazy and ludicrous and trying to debunk these theories and claims that have been made against them and an over explanation and analyzation of all of these different details and he talks very fast like i know i talk fast but he is a speed talker and he stumbles over his words which i mean you gotta look at it two ways i guess yes that is a sign of like trying to cover something up and different things like that but he could straight up just be nervous at the same time if he is innocent and if they didn't have anything to do with this you know it just could be a sign of nerves but it also could be him trying to prove his innocence or cover up his guilt so those are just things to remember I also think it's very weird without a doubt that your daughter goes missing. This is just circling back around to the night that Madeline went missing. Your daughter goes missing and you leave your other two children asleep in the room that your daughter went missing in. You know, if you really think someone took her, why the hell are you leaving your other two kids in that same room? And I don't know what could possibly be going through your mind when you find out that your daughter is missing but i do find it odd that you leave your other two children in the room that your daughter went missing in i did watch the first united states interview that kate and jerry did and it was with oprah and this was on the two-year anniversary of madeline's disappearance so about 2009 so when oprah asked jerry and kate if they believed that madeline was still alive jerry said that there was no reason to believe that she's not alive and when asked by oprah if that was wishful thinking or not or whether they truly believed that, Kate responded with saying that it was fact, actually, that there had been no evidence that Madeline had been subjected to any harm. And let me break this down for you because I have a problem with how that was said, and I could just be overanalyzing it. I have a tendency to do that. To me, that sounds like, first of all, it sounds like wishful thinking, but it also sounds like you are trying to convince yourself or 
and or everyone else that there is no evidence to prove anything bad has happened to her, meaning that your cover-up is still working. So by saying, oh, there's no proof that anything has happened to her, like let's say they were responsible of it, Let's say they were responsible for this and they're still trying to cover it up. But by them saying there's still no proof that anything bad has happened to her, you know, it's just it's a little weird. And I'm not sure if you guys agree with me on that, but that's just my point of view on it. Jerry and Kate also said that obviously they regret leaving their kids that night, but they had done it for the past four or five days, like I said, so they didn't really think much of it. Something I also found interesting, which again, if they are innocent, then this is just them defending themselves. But when asked about the scrutiny that they've been under for leaving their kids in the hotel room that night by themselves, Jerry was very quick to completely turn the spotlight away from him and his mistakes. He said, the more important thing here is an abductor out he said, the more important thing here is that there is an abductor out there who came into an apartment and stole our child. And he kept referring to the alleged abductor as he. And he even told Oprah he was 100% certain that whoever abducted Madeline was a he. Which, I mean, I, I don't know how you could make that assumption. I feel like that's a very, like, that's not fact. Like, if someone did abduct your child, like, you don't know who it is. Jerry also said something in this interview that I felt was pretty narcissistic and it was kind of a red flag for me. He said that in the early days of Madeline's disappearance that everyone wanted to help him and Kate and everyone was on their side. And he said that there was so much quote unquote power, that's the word that he used, power, that everyone came together. There was so much power around this. They had so much power to get everyone coming together. And then he said that all changed when everyone turned on them. And to me, that was interesting because the way he worded that for me was pretty off. And like I said, I could be overanalyzing, but he said he felt a sense of power and that everyone felt sympathy for him and his family and his wife because his daughter was gone. And then everyone turned against him. It wasn't then everyone started to question or then everyone did this, this and that. It was everyone turned against him. Like he is the center of attention here. Like the whole thing doesn't like it's just about him. And it was never really about Madeline, which I've noticed in the interview. So the McCanns defended their lack of emotion in the press conferences and appeals that they did um, by saying that they had a behavioral expert tell them that the best thing to do is to not show any sort of emotion because the abductor or the alleged abductor could feel some sort of gain off of that. And if you go back and watch the press conferences, it, it is pretty odd um, about the fact that they are so cold, like Kate and Jerry do seem very cold in their behavior, but it is not unheard of for people to say that their lack of emotion comes from being told to not show any in cases like this. I've, I Like if you're into true crime, I'm sure you've seen that a lot. Um, Jerry and Kate were named as suspects though in Madeline's disappearance in 2007. Kate said when she was told that she was being looked at as a suspect, it made her extremely angry because at that point she realized that the police weren't looking for Madeline anymore or the abductor. They were just focused on her and Jerry. Kate said that when that happened and when she did get angry, she decided that she was going to be strong and fight back for the justice for Madeline. And in the same interview with Oprah, I know I keep referring to it, but I did find it very interesting and very telling, which is why I keep coming back to it. Kate and Jerry denied drugging Madeline or giving her sedatives, but they denied it in very different ways, which I found was very interesting. Kate denied the... So the way that Kate denied it was almost like a shrugging your shoulders type of thing. She said, oh, you know, like, it's just, it's all lies. Like, oh, you know, it's all lies. Like, very nonchalantly, like, weirdly nonchalantly. Like, that's saying, like, someone's telling you, you drugged your kid. Like, you gave sedatives to your kid. And she's like, oh, you know, it's all lies. Like, and the way she said it, it was literally like some sort of high school rumor. Like, oh, you know, she's just lying. Like, something like that. But Jerry's demeanor was completely different because he jumped on the fact that every Everyone has their theories and it's absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous to think that him and Kate had anything to do with it and he went back to overanalyzing and over explaining and I just think it's very interesting the differences in behavior between Kate and Jerry um, but I will say when Kate just kind of went like oh you know it's all lies like I you definitely should go back and watch that interview because when she said that it's like you're literally being asked if you drugged your kid and you're like oh you know hmm, it's whatever like I just it doesn't make sense to me. Kate and Jerry also said that they have never gotten close to a lead or close to figuring out where Madeline is. There have been some age progression pictures of her over the years to help people get an idea of what she could possibly look like now that she's growing up a little bit. 
Um, as far as the sightings go, there has been money raised by the McCanns when they set up Madeline's Fund, which is the fund that they set up. It's called Madeline's Fund. And over 80 million people visited this website in about three months and donated a bunch of money. And there were a bunch of celebrities that were donating money to this as well, such as JK Rowling, Simon Cowell, Richard Branson. And there were huge rewards being offered for any information that could be offered to Madeline's whereabouts. So as far as the sightings go, there have been about 8,685 potential sightings of Madeline McCann that have been followed up by the British police. Those are just the ones that have been followed up by. These sightings were across 101 countries and nearly all of the sightings resulted in no further action being taken, meaning that they have not been serious enough to possibly look into any further or there wasn't enough evidence to prove it or it just completely was just wrong, I guess. The list of countries that she's been potentially cited in is so long you guys like this list is insane but to just name a few countries i'm just gonna do it right now algeria australia brazil cambodia canada china costa rica iceland mexico norway italy japan kenya south africa spain thailand united kingdom the united states and that is just the tip of the iceberg with the potential sightings of the countries that she has been in there is a big theory here that Madeline was actually abducted by a stranger and kept alive by sex traffickers that were operating in Morocco and the Western Sahara. Um, there have been two sightings in Belgium from people who say that they think they've seen Madeline. In September of 2007, there was a sighting of her in Morocco at a gas station with a man, and the sighting was reported by a couple who said that this girl had a very pretty face and long blonde hair, and the couple said that the girl had a sad look on her face and said with an accent, can we go see mommy now? And this couple said that they went home that day and they turned the TV on, they saw the news about Madeline being missing, and that's when they recognized her from the girl that they saw at the gas station, they thought that they looked very similar, and then they called the Spanish and Portuguese police, but neither of them really wanted anything to do with it. And so it kind of just went to a dead end. May 2014, there was a picture taken from someone's TV screen from a Europe League final soccer game that went pretty viral because people were saying that the girl on the screen looked pretty identical to Madeline and thought it would be her because of the distinctive eye features she had. And I've seen the picture and you can look up the picture if you want. And the picture does look pretty similar. I'm not going to lie, but it was never confirmed. I'm sure it was looked into because they did look very similar. But these sightings that I just named don't even scratch the surface on the sightings that Madeline has been reported to be seen at. And that just kind of brings me back to what I said in the beginning about how this is one of the most publicized cases to date with all of the social media that we have now and all the media outlets we have now and the means of knowing things. Like it's so widespread. There was a freaking Netflix miniseries made off of this. So I do think that I, like if she was abducted by a stranger, again, that is an if, they probably did change her appearance because I don't think that with everyone knowing who this girl is, like I'm pretty sure, like with this being so widespread, with this being so publicized, if you were to kidnap someone, I guess, you would obviously change their appearance if it was so public because it would be a lot less likely for someone to recognize her. They wouldn't be looking for a, like if they dyed her hair, or cut her hair or something like that, like people normally wouldn't be looking for that. Um, so I do think that her appearance is probably very drastic at this point if she was abducted by a stranger and held in um, some sort of, unfortunately, some sort of like sex trafficking thing. So if someone did abduct her um, and she is still alive, I guarantee her appearance is probably altered. But someone knows something that happened to this girl, which bugs me so much because Madeline McCann disappeared without a trace late at night and no one has seen her since and i'm gonna be very straight up with you guys this leads me to believe that there are one of two options here because i was thinking about it and the whole sex trafficking ring thing it's very it make it definitely happens way more way way more than people think that it does and it's a very big possibility but even in that i just don't feel like she would have been disappeared without a trace for over a decade at this point i don't know if i fully believe that kate and jerry are 100 responsible for this but i think that they know at the very least they know a lot more than they are letting on um i think that it is very suspicious that the dogs picked up scents only in the apartment and in the car 
I think that their demeanor, the way that they talk in interviews, Kate and Jerry is completely off. And if they were involved in this, if they were responsible for this, I don't think it was a purposeful thing. But I think that if they were involved, if this was their fault, I think that they gave Madeline sedatives and she either accidentally overdosed on them or she hit her head on something or there was an accident that was caused by these sedatives that unfortunately ended up taking her life. And I feel like Kate and Jerry probably got very nervous and didn't know what to do. So they tried to hide her and did so successfully. That is my theory when it comes to the McCanns because I don't think that this was a pre-planned thing. It makes me very irritated at the fact that they left one of the doors unlocked with their kids in it. Um, I just feel like that is such a silly thing to do. And so if this was a stranger abduction, then I mean, it's so easy for someone to do that because their apartment was on the corner of a street and the patio door was unlocked. So it's easy for someone to come in and take their daughter. So I am so curious to see what you guys think about this. I also think it is very possible I do want to mention again, though, there was a note left at the Tapa 7 restaurant that said that the McCanns needed that table because all of their kids were sleeping in the rooms while they weren't there. So there were unsupervised kids. So the people at the resort knew that they were unsupervised kids in the rooms while their parents were eating dinner and no one was going to be in the rooms and they were all going to be sleeping. I think that that is a very big red flag as well. Um, someone in the resort very well could have seen that and decided to act on it. There's no way I could sit here and go through every single detail of this case. There's a bunch more, I'm sure, that I could talk about, but we would be here for hours on hours on hours if we haven't been already. But I'm so curious to know what you guys think about this case because I just really think that Madeline deserves justice no matter what, and I just hope that one day she's able to have that. I hope that the truth comes out one day, but I really do want to hear your guys' opinions and thoughts on this. So make sure you tweet me, DM me on Instagram. My username is just at Savannah Brimer for both of them let me know what you think about this because i am driving myself absolutely crazy over this one all right you guys that is it from me today thank you so much for tuning into another episode of killer instinct if you are new here make sure you hit that follow button that way you never miss out on an episode i make weekly episodes every wednesday and i hope to see you back on the next one so with that being said you guys that is all from me today and i hope to see you next week and stay safe <laughs>